know, the only thing that makes John Wick cooler is if, much like our titular Tokyo Drifter, he had a theme song that played when he went around. Yeah. And if that theme song was composed by Randy Newman. Well, I can tell you... You've got a friend in me. (laughs) That would be good. There is a track in John Wick 2. I think it's Castlevania or something. Castlevania, John Wick mode. John Wick mode is the name of the track that goes when he's in the... Escaping from the chateau in Italy. At the uh, Hitman rave? Yeah. 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 Um, On the uh, Long Lost Borgo cast, um, Dracula Gothic stuff podcast, uh, that was our opening music. That's fun. Oh, it was John Wick mode? Yeah, John Wick mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, you know, that's as close as he gets to a theme song, but you're absolutely right. It'd be very good if he uh, serenaded everybody in the room before he started throwing knives at them. I think so. Or just whistled something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A jaunty tune. Yeah. Uh, Alouetta. (laughs) Yeah. Alouetta, jaunty Alouetta, in fact. I will pluck your eye. Thank you. With a pencil. (laughs) With a pencil. (laughs) We're... As we're recording, mere days away from the release of Part 4, which is being heralded the best of the series and one of the best action movies since Fury Road. It better is, be at three hours long. I, I mean, truly wild, the bloat on this franchise. It's just, got a real good, the bad, and the ugly dollar there was, trilogy kind of finish there. There was what? A, there's a 20-minute there's a boost from one to two, I mm-hmm. think, and then another... 10 minutes 10 or minutes so. 10 minutes on three. Yeah. Which breaks the two hour mark. And yeah. now we're at 250. Yeah. I think is the runtime. That is long. That's a lot of wick. I'm going to be there opening day. That's a lot IMAX. of dead bodies. I, I'm, yeah. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally there. Oh, neck shots are what's in now. You know, mm. now, now that we've got these uh, are, these armored head to toe uh, high table uh, killers. This is really peering behind the curtain. You know, we saw John Wick 3, you and I did, or you. You and Arthur and I did uh, with a sort of press slash yeah. preview screening with a big audience. full audience yeah. thing. There's not been any rumors of that kind of fun happening at all with four. It's no. too bad. I, yeah, the press screenings around here have, I think, just dropped off in general since COVID. Yeah. yeah. Like, awards season, there'll be a few, but by and large, I, that, there's pro- only been one this year so far that I'm aware of, and that was for Creed. I assume they're not particularly worried about I how John that. Wick 4 is going to test in I would Oklahoma assume City. not. Yeah, I don't think there's concern about a a movie franchise that has financially grown with each installment as well. Oh, yeah, big time. Right? So I think that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. I want to go back. You're, you're talk- So the thing that really strikes me, because I don't know where it picks up, Steam as a, a fighting technique in film, but the, the hammer-on knife shot oh yeah the struggle yeah. and then you know you, you punch the guy yeah, breaking the guy's guard to get and, the knife yeah, yeah i mean that's that's real popular in these movies well, and yeah. i don't know where that really really common move yeah. yeah that seemed to be kind of a big resurgence in that and i don't know if that's john wick because of or if something else that's interesting you know what i mean it is I'm, a practical it's interesting way. To note like obviously jujitsu is huge in movies now because yeah, of yeah. this franchise mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's just interesting how action movie uh I mean, fight scenes have evolved, and I mean, we got. I mean, I think the raid's a big influence, probably right in, in sure. the modern action film. Well, you've got two of the guys from the raid in John Wick Three yeah. as a Zero's henchman, right? Yeah, or is that the the the, fi- the next to final battle? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. good. Then they're they're doing pinchaks a lot. Yeah, the, the Indonesian martial art. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. only thing I wish more while he's doing the hammer is that he was be saying. Shh, yeah, <laughs> great moment there from Saving Private Ryan. One of the, one of the all time great kills. It is wild though. You're right. How much like bleed over these movies have had on action cinema, like yeah. uh, as a whole. I mean, they, oh, they yeah. just like become 
such a dominant set piece or showcase for stuff. There are a couple work. of books written on the action choreography of these films. That makes sense. Which there's, might come up later. There's a really good uh, article by um, uh, Priscilla Page that's been referenced in like academic uh, um, symposiums uh, where people have talked about Wick, which mm. I think is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we'll definitely talk about that article uh, later for sure. Because cool. yeah, it's it's awesome how much scholarship there is on these movies. Like they've really broken through critically and you know just with the common moviegoer like it's it's really interesting like the crossover appeal these movies have i my in-laws who are not like movie people at all or know about john wick and are into john wick it hits the yeah. Venn diagram yeah yeah the center of all the vens yeah well, well people just like people getting pistol whipped anyway true and you just make it as stylish and as unique as you can mm-hmm. and, you, and you sell it yeah yeah, yeah. Hey, why are we here? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss, except for probably in the future, in a film studies course, considering the University of Indiana Press and others. Um, and we're going to be doing episode number 500 today of this uh, crazy show that began back in 2012. Madness. Five- it's all your fault. It, I take full responsibility you're the only one to have a movie podcast we started with a solid on precinct 13 so 500 john wick feels apropos i I mean kind of in a vein sure especially the first john wick yeah especially i mean lean and mean uh you know kind of a reverse situation where he's infiltrating exactly but But still yeah our our first banter game now after we've done our initial banter is we're going to rank every episode one through 500 yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to he, we should check the timestamps for when we start talking about John Wick. That's going to be our July, <laughs> which is sometime what tomorrow. Are your, uh, what are your uh, top one hundred good trash episodes? We'll be running that this July. <laughs> oh, um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. Five hundred times later, I am still. Yes, we are still. We haven't forgotten. Not, not counting bonus episodes and whatnot. Yeah, yes. So we've we've there's a. Do lot. we all start using our Russian names now? Don't have one. Okay, doesn't translate. Dushan. Jadani, I can't think of his. Yeah. what's his last name? Yeah, I can't remember either. Anyway. His, his Romani name, yeah. Brovich. It's so good. It's, it's so good. It's a fun just bit. The, 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 just the the unfolding of it all. Yeah, it's, it, it really it, is it fantastic. Is, it is very. We we clearly love the movie John Wick, and we will say more about that. I guess we should clarify. We're talking about all. Of them. We're talking about all. It's a megasode. So yes. we're, we're all, talking about chapters one through three. Sure. Yeah. Not, yeah. Thank you for clarifying, Arthur. Because by the time you listen to this, dear listener, there will be a fourth one. Out for your availability to your eyeballs. You might be listening to this while you're waiting for that one to start. That you might be, be cool. on your way to the theater right now, listening to this to prep for four. I think this will be good prep. Uh, it, I hope it will be. That's, we'll, yeah, we'll, that's what we're we'll, trying. We'll see. I mean, interestingly, the, well, we'll say more here in a minute. Let me let me give you the rundown, dear listener, just in case. We already did that movie. You've never <laughs> different kind of action there. Um, <laughs> In case you've never tuned in to the Good Trash Honor cast before, and you did find us because of the John Wick algorithm, what we want to say to you is this. Um, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, and that does mean spoilers. We will avoid spoilers as best we can. It's going to be a little bit more difficult with a three-sode, uh, but we're going to do what we can to do that. And so we'll have a synopsis of the entire franchise I say with expectation, having not confirmed any of this information. Uh, And then we'll move on to quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews of the entire franchise. Then we're going to move into a game called Expanding the Syllabus. We're going to think about this franchise in an academic way, which might uh, involve spoiling this film or other films in its orbit or other works, both literary, academic, and cinematic, uh, around it, perhaps. 
And so that's all a possibility for how we're going to go about dealing with uh, this film. And then we're going to let you have some music to let you know that we've gotten down to business, and that business is analysis. And that's when all spoiler bets are off. And so we find out what happens to, I don't know, the car, or... Perkins. Perkins, or... John Leguizamo. Winston, or, yeah, Johnny Legs. I mean, the number of things. So, yes, we're going to try to do it that way. So, I guess... Watch the timestamps accordingly, friends and neighbors. Uh, with that, I think we are done with preambles. Do we have a synopsis, yeah. Mr. Arthur Gordon? Let I got something. Delight us, please. John Wick just wants to retire, but after a tragic incident takes the last living reminder of his late wife, Wick sets out on a course for revenge that takes us deep into a world of assassins and a crime network like no other. Yeah. Yeah. There is no other crime network like it. Uh, tell me who else has switchboard punk uh, ladies. Uh, yeah. Uh, Goss just... Betty Page uh, switchboard operators is a thing. <sighs> oh, <laughs> this movie gets me. You know, these movies just get me. They, they do. <laughs> Same. This is pressing all the right buttons. Uh, yeah. they? <laughs> they do. They really are. They know exactly which uh, pneumatic tubes to put the stuff into. Yeah, I love it. It's what a, what a fantastic franchise, truly. Um, all right. Um, I'm just thinking about The Rock and John Wick. I don't know. I just that's in my head now. Thanks. Can can before we review, can we briefly synopsize the differences between the three films? Because I'll tell you. Because they are episodic and they sure. do directly hook an eye one to the other, it is hard to remember which events take place in which. Okay. So, for instance, I know, I mean, this is just an example. We'll, we'll, we'll do the summarizing here in a minute. So, the Peter Stramari getting the car back is the first section of Chapter 2. Yes. Although it feels like it's part of... One. Well, this is the interesting thing about Chapter 2, is it so much feels like an epilogue for Part 1 and a prologue for Part 3. Right. It really is an, an in-betweener. It's got that two towers energy. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's really like, we gotta get some plot uh, momentum going so we can get you to where we're going. Because it's so clearly like... I mean, the everybody on Earth wants to kill John Wick stuff starts about halfway through John Wick 2, and then just becomes the entirety of John Wick 3. Correct. And you're, you're right that you know, the opening of that movie is so much just like putting a pin on like the, the hanging dangling plot threads from the end of part one. Correct. But like two and three. Yeah. I mean, they, the opening of three is the end of two. Yes. But just, I mean, they boom, bleed right into mm -hmm. each other. So to synopsize in chapter one, John Wick's puppy is killed and he exacts revenge. Over yeah. the course of a night or two. A yeah. night yeah. or two. Uh, chapter two he continues and gets drawn back in because of a marker being given to him and has to accomplish certain things. One more job. One yep. more job. Has to honor prior obligations because he's put his toes back in the water. And in the course of doing this, he breaks the rules of the world and becomes persona non grata. We the high say, table. We, we can say ex that much. Excommunicado. Sure. Yeah, excommunicado. Yeah. Very religious language, yes. Oh, so I thought good. that would have been a better subtitle for Powder Bellum. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I like, they say it so much, too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It made more sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so that's the thing that ends it too. And mm -hmm. then three is him finding a way back. Yeah. But then betraying the way back. It's kind of what's interesting about three is it is so much a story of like, okay, what do I have to do to be free of this? And when he gets his answer, he goes, oh. Well, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> I'm going to pick 
Option number three. Yeah, option number three, which is kill everybody, perhaps. Which it seems like is where we're going into it. Chapter four is it's he's just going to kill the high table I or something. Yeah, yeah. presumably. Yeah, has to do single combat with their uh, anointed, you know, Pennywise. Who's who of? God, I mean, God, they just really, you know, people talk about the MCU's casting department, the John Wick universe. They really just know how to who to pull in from mm-hmm. the, the world of like yeah. action ephemera. Uh, anyway, have we have we kind of clearly set? I, I think that's the that, trilogy. At least we know the distinctions between the three films because again, it really is just sort of a long, ongoing. I mean, it, honestly, it, it, it's three seasons of a television series, you know, and it just begins the 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 next minute, mm-hmm. you know, from one to the next. Yeah. is the way it feels. It's twenty four. It's twenty four. Uh, yeah, uh, but good. Yeah, I mean, it's been close to ten years that they've been making John Wick movies now, and extensively, it takes place over the course of about two weeks. Right. <laughs> well, I'd wonder because I mean, what Chapter Four presumably would have came out what twenty one? Yeah, without uh, COVID delays. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we probably would have been at five by now. I assume, do. Is there a? This is what I was thinking because I remember. When I watched three in theaters, I was a bit perturbed that they were leaning into a chapter four. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Have they announced there's an end point for this? Is there five chapters, six chapters? There is, is a it... fifth movie that has, I think, been f- shot a lot of it, but not. You're talking about Ballerina? No, John Wick Chapter 5. No, the ballerina is a spinoff. Yeah, with Anna Darmus. The Continental? Yeah, okay. Did that happen? That TV show? I don't know if that's they put the brakes on that or not. I don't, I don't know what the status of that is. Um, yeah, Arthur, I don't. I know that Stahelski and Reeves have both been pretty upfront that they love doing these movies and will kind of keep doing them as long as they're successful. So I, I don't know if we're going into 4 with an expectation that there's a fifth movie or not. Truly, um, I'll, uh, I'll there's do one right reading. Reading. Wiki, that there but... is some closure with a dangler that it could continue, I think, is what I read somewhere. Uh, here we go. Right, this is uh, pretty recent from Stahelski. He said in an interview, in our minds, uh, that this is going to be the last one in a while. Here's a quote. In our minds, Keanu and I are done for the moment. We're going to give John Wick a rest. I'm sure the studio has a plan. If everyone loves it and goes kooky, then we'll take a minute. Then we'll take a quiet minute. So there we go. Okay. So uh, I guess that was as of three was when they're like, we'll keep making these movies. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the latest is may- maybe. And that's, I think, good. I would like a break for a little bit. Yeah, I think it's probably wise. Um, it's, it seems like we've been working to something of a conclusion. I'm, I'm with you, Arthur. My my reaction to three in theaters was very similar. I was like, I went into it thinking, oh, are we going to we going to kill John Wick? What's the end of this movie? And yeah, to see like I mean, really from probably the second act, it feels like it's hinting towards the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're right that that is maybe one of the weaknesses of Part Three. Although I think Part Three is pretty unimpeachable. Um, and I guess we'll we'll get to our rankings later. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, how do we, Dustin? Do, is there any other? Review preamble? I, 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 I don't think so. I just want to do that sort of preamble there to sort of, you know, sure. situate, since we are doing a, a, a three-sode, mm-hmm. um, and, and wanted to cover all three parts of the uh, franchise up to this point. So I guess it's time to talk about whether or not we like John Wick or not. I guess it's more a question of how much we like John how, Wick and yeah, what do we like about it. Correct. Um, so, Dalton... How much do you like John Wick, and what do you like about it? Well, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that The Matrix is like a seminal like activation film for me, as far as like cinephilia goes. So 
John, or not John, I almost called him John Wick, Keanu Reeves going back into action mode uh, was very exciting for me when this this quiet little sleeper film called John Wick hit theaters in 15, 14? 14. Uh, wow, it really has been nine years. Uh, when this sleeper film hit theaters, I, you know, I was among the folks going to see it because it was appealed to my interest. I hadn't heard of this director, Chad Stahelski, and then I came out and I had to know everything about this Chad Stahelski and David Leach and what they've been up to. And, you know, this it's been exciting to watch, you know, as we've already touched on, it's been exciting to watch movies respond to the John Wick franchise and watch 8711 Productions kind of become a real big force in the stunt world uh, and, and watch sort of stunts get better because of these movies. It really is interesting. I really, f- with all the the hubbubaloo around four. It does make you hope for a stunt Oscar soon. Uh, I know uh, Vulture, I think, did the big stunt awards thing this year. Uh, they had a couple of writers get together and, you know, uh, do do sort of a, a, a in love of stunts, you know, as the Oscars were going on. So I truly hope that this this gives that traction because it's is the appeal for me. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that really is sort of what the films are doing is they are doing kind of Buster Keaton silent era stunt movies. I mean, there there's not a whole lot of separation between a jackass movie and a John Wick movie. It is predicated on like people doing wild stuff that you're that surprises and astonishes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's really what these are all about. You know, they're, they lean more into comedy as they go. And I think that's such a smart move for this franchise. Um, it, I, it's been said a lot by many people online uh, that sort of the, at least especially the first John Wick is sort of a slasher movie with guns where the killer is the hero of the movie uh, because it's all kind of predicated on him, you know, stalking uh, Mm -hmm. what's his face from Game of Thrones. Alfie Allen. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Lily Allen's brother uh, is uh, being stalked by him throughout this movie. And much like a horror franchise, the John Wick movies like kind of embrace their inherent absurdity and, and lean into that, especially like in three when he's, getting kicked through just like 15 panes of glass in a row. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hilarious. It, it's comedy. The knife museum bit. And, and yes. Stahelski like being like, yeah, people miss with knives in our movies because that's what happens if you throw a knife. It's not going to hit every time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like to turn it into like, it's almost as comical as like a snow, grown adults having a snowball fight, but with knives. And that's, that is what appeals to me is these, these, the celebration of stunt work that, has such a mastery of its own tone and its own world. Uh, again, that's that's been such a you know calling card of this franchise is is expanding its its mythos and its lore as it goes on chapter to chapter. And I think that's a real drawing uh, point for a lot of people. It's you know it seems to be something I hear people talk a lot about what they like about these movies. And I'm for me, I'm I'm right there with them. You know, the the as soon as the gold coins show up in chapter one, you're like, what is that about? Yeah, Who yeah. are these a dinner reservation? The cops show up and the cops are afraid of John Wick. That's one of my truly one of my most cherished movie going memories is the guy behind a row or two behind me when the cop shows up uh, and is like, you working again, John? The guy behind me goes, oh, the cops are afraid of John Wick. <laughs> it was just like, that's good. Yeah, so good. Yeah. And that's that's something that's so great about this. It reminds me of my beloved Roadhouse is these movies do such a good job of like building up John Wick like everybody has heard of him has a story about him and it's it's such a delight of this world that it feels so established mm-hmm. when you go in and then it just kind of again unfolds as as these movies uh, have continued to come out um 
I've seen it said that these movies are starting to lose their emotional core, and I do wonder about that. Um, I have pretty much consistently only grown in my admiration for these movies, but I do wonder, you know, where's that, uh, you took that from me, you stole that, or he took that, your son took that from me, killed that from me. Like, that monologue is, ooh. Yeah. So good. Gets me teared up every time. I love it. Now he's just a man in a situation. Exactly. Yeah. And that is sort of a drawback of this is, you know, this this was all about uh, a puppy that was a metaphor for a spouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how did we get here? Refrigerated beagle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of refrigeration going on with yeah. characters at the beginning of that first movie. And really throughout this franchise, they, they do be killing people. And I they're not scared to kill off uh, supporting characters, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, obviously, I, I like this movie. Um, what have I not talked about? It's great. Uh, the performance is great. I know we've talked about the casting on, on these. I love who they pull in. The cinematography is outstanding. I mean, just love the neon drenched stuff. And it just like this sort of neo-noir, uh, neon lit, where everything's damp. It's just so great. And like to watch the look of these movies unfold, like there is sort of a more grounded look to the first movie. And by three, it's like a much more kind of candy coated, sleeker, like mm-hmm. you can feel the money like seeping into the frame as this franchise goes right. on. Yeah. Um, and, and they keep putting that money on screen and they keep coming up with new, newer and crazier and more inventive things for John Wick to do. And people are the people making these movies are passionate about them. I I, I did a lot of uh, behind the scenes research for this episode, just kind of watching how they make this stuff. And man, they just take it so freaking seriously. They really do. They just uh, and what they pull off and how they manage to like blend practical and digital uh, to really sell like the bigness of what they're doing. You know, to keep people safe and like make it seem explosive and and like dangerous, but like to blend in those digital filmmaking techniques that can make things a little bit safer. The way they did the motorcycle chase in three, they're just, they're just stuntmen wearing a green head to toe piece and a green room pulling and pushing motorcycles on little trolleys to make, oh, yeah. make it look like they're on a highway. Yeah. Spliced Wild. in with footage that they took of people driving on the highway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really great stuff like that. Wild. Isn't it nuts. Anyway, what do you like about these movies, Arthur? What speaks to you, man? Um, yeah, I, came into these a little later uh, than I probably either of you did. Um, I remember I, I didn't really grow up as a Keanu guy, and so I was never really super into the Matrix either. And I think by the time, you know, John Wick comes out, Keanu had essentially become something of a punchline mm. in a lot of ways with his career and the kind of things he was doing. And so when I first, I remember hearing about John Wick and the, the, the setup about his, you know, he's getting revenge for his dog. You're like, what? You know? You know? <laughs> and so to actually see it play out, though, it, it does work so well. And the first movie is just such a well-oiled machine uh, of just getting you in here and letting the action unfold in a mostly pretty strong way, I think. I, I have some pacing issues, I think. And that may be a big thing for me kind of across the board is some of that pacing. And we already kind of talked about it. I think it is due to a lot of the kind of structural choices made where stories kind of naturally end, but we then get a little more from it. You know, I think one, the natural ending point is is when he finally does get to Alfie Allen, but then we get a little more mm-hmm. to get back to the framing device of that first movie. And then obviously, like we said, two kind of starts with this 
conclusion to one before moving into two proper. And then that just bleeds immediately into three. And, and so I think there's something really interesting about the way these stories play out. Keanu's great. Uh, I, you know, he seems to be just having a blast. Uh, just some incredible action stuff put to put to screen and the way it just keeps becoming more innovative throughout the franchise. I, I, the, the stuff that happens in one is so slick, so smooth, so crisp uh, two, we get some great stuff, but then we get this fun, uh, they, uh, you know, they live fight, just knock down drag out between him and common. That is yeah. not pretty. It's so dirty. So They're good. just tumbling Jeeps down stair going. after stair after stair. Gunfight into knife and fight. And it's like Chief David and, and Roddy Piper totally. just brawling. Right. Like there's totally. just something so different about that, that makes it feel fresh in that movie. Uh, that works and it's very fun. And then I love just those sort of under your shoulder, like silenced pistol shooting at each other. Oh, uh, when they get back to New York, different levels of the concourse. Yeah, yeah. That's um, so good. Yeah, and there's just you know things like that, and uh, and then three, just the library, uh, the stuff of the book is so innovative. The the knife museum, the horse uh, foo, uh, where it kind of becomes a western for a while um, is really clever. Uh, Halle Berry is great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, really the first major time we've seen Halle Berry in a long time, and she really gets to just come in and steal the show. And really pursued this role, yeah, in a really yeah. big way. Uh, I love her here. I think she's great. And then the things with the dogs, uh, probably some of my favorite set pieces are those dogs, but specifically Shot where it jumps dog. off of <laughs> I get her. It. <laughs> uh, the the dog wall climbs after jumping off Halle Berry to take down a guy, and I think it's one of the peak moments mm-hmm. of action in these movies. Totally. Um, uh, Larry Fishburne just having a blast. He's having sometimes so much you just got to cut a guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's just eating it up. Somebody is, get this man. He a is feasting. Gun. Seven million dollars that gets you seven rounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's incredible stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you're gonna cut the king. Come to the quick. You know, I mean. He's great, and so uh, so smart to get him in these. And then the the world building stuff that takes place—you've already alluded to a lot of that—but just this bureaucracy and the adjudicator that shows up in three, two. They're so good that they have an IRS. Yeah, is hilarious. They're auditing this network uh, for what they've done with John Wick or how they've handled John Wick. Uh, Those things are great—the coins, the currency, all that. But one thing that really stuck out to me this time is how starstruck everybody is. That's fighting John. Yeah. Like it's an honor for them to be fighting John and probably to be getting killed by like, there's just that moment where they're all like very nice to meet you. Yeah. And then they fight like those little elements just add so much to this. It's hard for me, I think to maybe even rank them because I think each of them does stuff really well. And I have some drawbacks here and there, but I I mean, across the board, this franchise, it, it just stays fresh it keeps opening us up into this wider world, which I think helps keep it fresh and helps maintain the momentum because the first movie is pretty bare bones. I mm-hmm. mean, we get the coins, we get the Continental, we get Winston, uh, we get Lance Reddick. And, and so we have a few pieces, but then the next one we get a gun sommelier and we have <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Taylor, the Taylor. And Who then, is the real costume designer for the movie. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's uh, and I think that's where we get our first peek at the switchboard operators mm-hmm. and you know, we get this wider and there's a hitman rave and, you know, whatever's happening with a high table. We really get into that uh, mythology. And then three really breaks it open and he's 
just where did tracking John the sands from? of desert yeah. and who sits above the high table? Yeah. yeah, like all that. Like I think that's what really helps keep these moving uh, in a way that works. And I think they're all fun. I, I think they're all high energy. I think you're right. They they do get really tongue in cheek funny by mm-hmm. three. You know, a lot of this thing. You know, I, I get it. You know, mm-hmm. you're not my dog. I get it. That then that stuff works. Uh, that, yeah, the fight where he just keeps getting knocked through panes of glass is so funny, <laughs> and they let him get up and like, oh, let me, you know, let me take a second. Let me, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. frustrated and flustered, and but they're going to give him room because he's John Wick, and you know they want to fight him on his terms. Yeah, and I think that's those little things really just add so much personality and charm to what could otherwise just be a franchise money grab. Yeah, and yeah. it never feels like it is a franchise money grab. Yeah. And I'm I think St- that's important. Stahelski staying on to kind of shepherd the franchise. Yeah. yeah. has made it seem like a labor of love. Yeah. 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 Between him and I guess Keanu probably. I mean, mm-hmm. really just navigating who this character is, what's best for this character, what's best for this world, and what's best for audiences in this story. And I think that's all very smart to be that intentional with it. So it doesn't feel cheap or pandering or, you know, patronizing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's in, in, in the kind of deep in the glut of franchise IP filmmaking um, to see something this kind of continually fresh, continually innovative and continually passionate after three entries and however much money they're going to make now. You know, uh, it'll be interesting. There's a thing today. I've seen some tweets, you know, the state of current box office with a few flops from uh, Disney and, and Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting, but. I think people will turn out for John Wick. Yeah, I think the numbers we've seen for Scream 6 and Creed 3, like, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a... People a, want yeah. good franchise stuff yeah. at this point. They're going to be eating good on John Wick 4, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Dustin, what do you like about these wild, wild movies? I mean, what else can be said? Um, I agree and ditto everything you guys have said uh, thus far. And I just, you know, I think there's something really delicious about the franchise as bingeable that is unique in you know uh, back the future kind of had a little bit of this going but you know back the future three kind of is a misfire Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit but there's a there it's not just simply like cliffhangers and connective tissue but it really does feel like i'm just i'm just diving right on in into the continuing watching the same sort of saga continue and i think narratively it is um one of those rare instances of a bingeable television franchise or film franchise Mm -hmm. uh you know you can sure you can binge halloween sure you can binge Friday Thirteenth. I'm know. working on Scream right now. Yeah, yeah. You Scream. You can, but it, there, there's, there's, it doesn't feel necessary mm-hmm. when you've already seen it. It still feels necessary to keep watching the one. Oh, oh I gotta, man, I gotta go in and keep watching. Oh, it. I didn't notice that hit last time. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, oh, he just picked up a. Th- oh, okay, that's how this fight plays out. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so there, there's a real sort of delight in just viewership, uh, in in the in the series, and I think that's really uh, something special and something like truly unique to this particular franchise of films. Uh, man, I'm a sucker for some good kung fu. So yeah, I'm there for that. Um, Keanu's great. Um, I I love the villains. A lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, really love the, you know, uh, Michael Nykust, uh, uh, the the Peter Italian Scamari. actor who plays uh, Santino, San- uh, yeah, who's you know pretty much only worked in Europe, is so good. 
just like so smarmy, so smug, just mm-hmm. oh, so evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love him. Ian McShane is not a villain, but kind of great. You know, just I there's 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 just a way in which it all kind of works. I love, and I don't have the actor's name right in front of my face right now. But when they go to Casablanca and the and the high table guy, Halle Berry, the guy Braun? that he from Game of Thrones. No, the guy he cuts his finger off for. Oh, the oh. elder. The elder. Yeah, yeah, I don't know his name. I, I've seen him in a few things. He's been. He's in Three Kings. He's mm-hmm. he's he's uh, been um, uh, just a great sort of uh, uh, Arabic actor uh, playing those sort of uh, you know kind of thankless terrorist number three kind of roles uh, over the last decade or so. And uh, man, it just is fantastic seeing him, and he's just got all the menace and you know sort of hoity toitiness. And just the mix of all the things that he needs to have uh, for you going to find him for me. Yeah, I'm not even... Saeed. Saeed I, yeah, I knew his name was I Saeed. can't get that last one yeah, out. Yeah, that's fine. Take him out? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm sorry, Saeed. But yeah, Saeed's the name I knew, but I didn't I didn't have the rest of it. But yeah, he's great. And uh, again, just excellent casting, excellent uh, martial arts work, excellent uh, stunt choreography throughout. And uh, man, just <sighs> fun. Just really, really, really fun film watching. Uh, truly, truly a joyous experience. It is delightfully carnal uh, the way in which you just you sort of love that these. Uh, to quote my grandmother, there are some men who need killing, and uh, watching them get what they deserve. I mean, there's it, it's very, very sort of lizard brain ap- appeal well, that works there. They've you know? so cleverly like it, it's a I don't know, a world populated by assassins and hit people like. They're, they're all killers for hire. Like there, there's no like morality here mm-hmm. yeah, to, to like kind of divorce the movie from real world morality is like so smart. Yeah, absolutely. Does it so many favors. And, and the, there's a way in which the uh, sort of the, the, the straights, the, the civilians mm-hmm. of this world are, are simply just kind of fine with it. There's, there's a moment where uh common and uh, Keanu face off on a subway and everybody's like, okay, and it's clear off. Just sort of back away, yeah. You know, and like, this is just going to happen. You know, uh, Ian McShane stops everybody in a major park in New York City. It's not Central Park. Maybe it's Central Park. I'm not sure, but they're in this big plaza. Oh, in the first one with in the Perkins. First one, yeah. yeah. And it shuts everybody down, you know. And uh, there's a way in which we know everybody is sort of aware of this and knows this is what's going on. And this is just the nature of the world. And we don't have any explanation as to what that life looks like if you were an ordinary civilian. But that sort of, again, divorces it from a world in which there's yeah, you know, we get real life ethical questions. Yeah. <laughs> Morality. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you know, this is a pure vengeance story. And it's the way in which uh, it's a vengeance that sort of avoids the complications of myths of retributive violence and that kind of stuff. Well, and I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this when we, you know, start doing analysis on these. But I think that is another smart feature of the films is, you know, especially two and three and, you know, the, the later ones, they're all about consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the John continues to survive, but by the skin of his teeth. And it is all because he went on a, a rampage. He went on a vengeance rampage and now it will never end. Mm-hmm. He just has to keep murdering to and stay he, alive. And he keeps magnifying consequences for himself <clears throat> yeah. and opting not to take option a or b well and then three is his consequences start to bleed out onto his friends and the people he cares about right Right. yeah so um that's that's really fun um so i it's it's super super enjoyable uh very fun to watch with the packed house i saw part three in a very packed house uh for people who were just absolutely game uh for what's going on and um i think there were cackles at the horse foo 
cackles um, all around me, and that that that's when I knew this is just something incredible and special. I also I think at one point when he stands up on a motorcycle with a katana sword. I mean, this is what you signed up for, and it's giving you what you want. It knows what you want, and it's playing around with it in a, in such a fun way. And that's not again in that. We, we talked about it not being a cash grab, and uh, there is something that's like delightfully fun about we're going to play with this world, we're going to expand this world, but we're not. It, it it avoids shark jumping by shark jumping the way you want it to. Yeah, by having a dog judo flip a guy by his wrist. Yeah, and it's just like that's what you want, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, I I, I don't know how it threads that needle. I'm not yeah. I'm not exactly sure where the lines are. The tone management on these things is crazy. But they know where the lines are. You're so right. And they're, and and, mm-hmm. and they're batting a thousand. I, I can't explain it any further than that, but it's, it's just really, really fun. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Um, surprise, surprise. Our choice for number 500 was something that we all love. So there you go. I think it's now time to move on to the part of our show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what Expanding the Syllabus is all about? Well, Dustin, you've already questioned whether or not these films are going to be academically discussed because, spoiler, they are. They're currently Already. being discussed academically. Some people have beat us to this. But generally speaking, what we do on this show is we talk about the films you wouldn't discuss on a, in a film studies course, and we use film studies type discourse to talk about them. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to program a fictional class that features the John Wick franchise and other corresponding or adjacent or related texts, films, articles, whatever. Uh, we're we're going to build a class around John Wick and uh, try to to really take it seriously as an academic uh, work. Correct. Um, and with that in mind, do you come prepared with the syllabus, my friend? I do. You're going to love this one. I oh, know because I, I, you're a Dante guy. I, I do know. like I know how Dante pilled you are. We're, this is a journeys to the underworld class. Oh, fun. Yeah, okay. this is all centered on on that. Uh, I learned in my research. This, it's it's fun to learn for the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, there, there's a word for this. Uh, it's a catabasis. Uh, yes. yeah, it's, you know, it's comes from the ancient Greek, uh, but because the Greeks have so many of these stories, they've got their own word for it. Uh, so we talk about some of those, you know, we talk about, uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, mm-hmm. talk about the 11th book of the Odyssey, some of those classic Greek stories that involve this Eur- type of Orpheus thing. Orpheus one is the best one. If, yeah. if you're, if you're casually listening to your listener, you're wanting to do some reading, just do Orpheus. We'll look at the divine comedies. Um, of course, mm-hmm. uh, and I think uh, other ones I like are Infernal uh, Infernal Affairs and The Departed. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got your Catholic hell and your Buddhist hell in both of those. Uh, we got Stalker, sort of a okay. kind of interesting other look at this, you know, Stalker or Annihilation, sub in either one. Mm-hmm. But both are sort of a science fiction yeah. journey to the underworld. Stalker is kind of more purgatorial almost than it is Infernal. But yes. yeah, I'm with yeah. you, though. But they're all sort of sharing this, like, People who journey to a liminal space that defies the rules of your, like, typical understanding. Correct. Uh, which is why we'd also do Wizard of Oz. Uh, yes. And, of course, uh, a film that, like, I, I only, like, grows in my estimation every time I, I think about it. Jacob's Ladder, which mm-hmm. we talked about on the show a long time ago. I uh, really love that movie. I, you know, it's just an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, but, boy, is it a good one. Is it a good version of that story? Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are those are the, uh, the stories we would use, and I think... I don't know. I think John Wick does such a good job of literalizing this. Um, you know, the the mirrors that appear throughout the the films, you know, the, the use of reflections. And it's doesn't, you know, obviously, two is kind of a set piece one where they kind of they've got their, you know, um, homage to the Enter the Dragon mirror fight. Mm-hmm. But 
there's so much use of reflections throughout this and uh, in that Priscilla Page piece I mentioned earlier, she uh, talks about uh, Shinto temples and the use of ma- mirrors in uh, Shinto temples. Uh, the uh, the mirror in the in that belief system represents kami, which is a complex, ambiguous Japanese word, basically meaning spirit, divinity, or god. And so, like the use of I don't know. And again, like the artwork that appears throughout two and three is a lot of like Renaissance artwork with religious, you know, connotations, mm-hmm. especially in three, all of the uh, paintings in um, uh, the director. Uh, I was, couldn't think of Angelica Houston's character's name. The director's office is full mm-hmm. of paintings that are about divinely uh, declared like assassinations. So just there's just so much subtext throughout these movies, like the way they use other art within the text to kind of build out their, their underworld themes. I just think it's so cool. Yeah. It's interesting. And I guess all these stories like ask questions about like, you know, human morality and you know, what, what do we expect out of death and what, you know, what do we, I guess we could, I didn't mention what dreams may come the Robin Williams movie. I know know some people have affection for that movie. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, I've only seen parts of it. Um, but I, yeah, all these stories, you know, underworld stories are, are so interesting because again, it's, you know, it's such a fun way to dabble with mortality and death, especially the John Wick franchise, which is such a death centered franchise. And I think it's kind of an interesting way for us to interface with, you know, our, our mortality and how we feel and think about it to, to just lean all the way into it in like a kind of a gonzo silly way. Just be like, yeah, everybody's dying constantly. Mm. Heads are popping every five seconds. And that's the stakes of this world is people are going to kill try to kill you uh, at the drop of a hat. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just such an interesting, these movies don't have to go this hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't have to have so much subtext for all the murder, but they do. Yeah. And we love them for it. That's fun. That's fun. I like that very much. Uh, Arthur, do you have a syllabus prepared, my friend? Yeah. I'm just thinking back, like I mentioned, John Wick was a big career resurgence moment for Keanu. Uh, and so I think I'd talk about, do something with, Career resurgences. Nice. I think it's an interesting thing that uh, occurs, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. And I think we'd look at instances of both. Um, I think this would be part of an acting class. You know, I've done a few before with character actors and prestige actors. And this may kind of fall into that uh, class in some way. Uh, And I think we would start with John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Um, Travolta, who had real strong career in the 70s with Grease and Saturday Night Fever um, welcome back, Cotter. Kind of getting a start there. Really, kind of tapered off in the eighties, uh, and then QT brought him in on Pulp Fiction, which really reinvigorated his career in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And he just he has, a, has a run 90s. in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, and you know uh, that he was stuck doing "Look Who's Talking" at that point. Yeah, you know? I mean, but but then he gets you know Face Off and Broken Arrow. I mean, he's just doing all these big action movies, and but just, it also does Michael. Yeah, just yeah. getting to make some really good choices in the nineties, and I think. You know, since then, tapered off. You know, he's doing some schlocky home stuff. You know, direct streaming kind of things now. Um, he still shows up occasionally uh, in, in in big movies, but really, Pulp Fiction re reignited his career and, and his trajectory through the '90s and made him a pretty big pop culture figure uh, once again. Yeah, uh, and gave him some more iconic moments uh, through the '90s. And so we'd probably start with John Travolta. From there, we'd talk about Robert Downey Jr. Um, and Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, I think talking about uh, studios making bets, uh, betting on Robert Downey was a huge, a huge gamble in, in 
mid 2000s with everything kind of happening in his career up to that point. Uh, He'd been big in the 80s and, you know, part of that whole crew there with uh, um, Hughes and, and his bunch. Brad Pack and, adjacent yeah. does an SNL yeah. stint in the early 90s? Yeah, like I think 89, so. 90, yeah, somewhere that in there. That weird period there. Yeah. Um, the, is that the, the No Lorne SNL, I, I think? Maybe. Yeah. You know, that stint where he's gone. Uh, you know, he does Chaplin in the 90s. He's doing some prestige stuff. But he really, I mean, just everything, the demons that caught up with him. Um, and then, you know, Marvel Paramount? I don't, I don't know where Iron Man is at. Uh, you know, they give him a call. I think it's Paramount, yeah. And uh, and they say, you know, here are the keys to the kingdom, essentially. And it, you know, obviously worked out. Come riff a, little a, bit. Come riff a movie it with John well. Favreau. Yeah, it yeah. did well. Yeah, it worked out. <laughs> that paid off. For the best and it worst. It was successful, yes. Um, Movies and, and were unfortunately do, never the same. And, 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 you know, we could talk about his acting since then because how much of it is Robert Downey, how much of everything he does is Tony Stark now. Um, but uh, I, you got to talk about Downey and his career. Uh, another one now we got to talk about is Eddie Murphy. And we're going to talk about Dolomite is my name, uh, which he does with Netflix. And again, a, a guy who had really become a, a laughingstock. I mean, just box office poison was, you know, where he was at. Everything was just falling apart as far as these movies. And he kind of went into obscurity for quite a while. Uh, and then he gets to make this movie with Netflix and just rave reviews, well-received audiences and, and critics alike. Some award nominations. Gets award, yeah, gets some yeah. nominations and really gets his name back out there. He you know gets to host Saturday Night Live again uh, to pretty strong, successful uh, show. and Coming to America sequel. Yeah, we get yeah. that. So we're getting to see him making some moves. That's still pretty recent, so it's kind of hard to judge where that's going to go. Um, but it was good to see kind of classic Eddie Murphy back in the saddle again to do to do some interesting stuff with Dolomite is my name, which yeah. is, you know, just a, a good time to be had. Have you seen You People yet with him and Jonah Hill? No. The Kenny Barris movie? <sighs> yeah. I mean, a lot of mixed stuff. Is yeah. What I'm um, yeah. I mean, guess who's coming to dinner has been done a couple times. And so it's, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how interesting it is in 2023, but. Maybe Jordan Peele already kind of beat everybody to the reinventing that That, premise. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah, I'm playing with it. (laughs) Um, We got to talk about Michael Keaton. Uh, We we talked about DC. uh, Marvel, we got to talk about DC. We got to talk about uh, Michael Keaton and Birdman. Um, Mm -hmm. I think talking about Birdman is just so interesting because of the parallels to Batman, which was really the movie that kind of overshadows his career by the 90s. and, And it was hard for him to kind of get out of that shadow i think for a long time and so for him to come in to do this what i assume was probably a very introspective take at his career mm-hmm. and what got him fame and got him fortune and being able to reevaluate that and then he made him a household name again and he very well has uh catapulted that into a, a pretty strong into playing batman again yeah you know hey <laughs> full circle baby yeah full circle that's right so we'll see how that goes i guess um I want to talk about oh not nope uh talk about Kristen Stewart and uh sure. Rob Pat uh two of the, the most Twilight, interesting careers their generation yeah, you know yeah. who who just got lumped into this and uh both started making moves you know uh Pattinson starts working with uh Cronenberg Cronenberg yeah. some you know Kristen Stewart's doing some uh stuff with Asaias uh but she makes Personal Shopper and he does Good Time and these are the two that really I think cemented them as very interesting actors mm-hmm. who make weird choices and do good stuff. 
and, and are the kind of I think two points that people look at and be like, no, they're good actors. Look at this. Yeah. Like forget Twilight, forget the schlocky dramas. Look at these two movies, and and you'll see what they can bring to the table. There's a movie. I just I, I hate to interrupt you, but I I've thought this for a while now about Arpat and Kirsten Stewart is that. There's going to be at some point someone's going to make uh, the sort of love letter to movie making movie with those two playing actors who were in a heartthrob franchise together at one point, like and, the Birdman of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and and they're trying to you know like one of them's yeah, trying to get, get the other one to you know maybe ensorcel them in some sort of romance or whatever to get them. Somebody's going to gonna make, write a really good screenplay. Yeah, yeah you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, that's got to happen, right? Yeah, I, get I, those two back in a movie it, together. It feels too on the nose not to do. Yeah, it's like I it's, think, it's, yeah. It's, it's fate. Yeah. Sorry, um, go on. A, another kind of fun pairing here. I, I take a look at Jennifer Lo- Lopez and Hustlers. Sure. Um, who, again, in a career really fallen off, uh, has seen a good bounce back. She's done some rom-coms recently, I think moderate success. Uh, and then, you know, Hustlers was just so well-received anyway and really showed her at another, I think, level people weren't sure she could get to uh, and just stole the show. She came that. so close to an Oscar nom. Yeah, and really probably should have had, yeah. had it, yeah. Uh, and then I think right alongside her has been Affleck, uh, who, you know, their career is kind of downward at the same time. Yeah, and, and then his he, career is just like up and down. Yeah, and then yeah. he makes Gone Baby Gone. And, and I think looking at this from a different perspective of actor turned director, who yeah. we really see what kind of filmmaker they are, what they're interested in, what kind of artist they are. And he does that with the town and just really gets a resurgence here, gets the Batman, or it, Batman. Well, and this then, is what's interesting, right? He gets best director or no, he gets best picture for Argo. Yeah. Snubbed for best director yeah. by some accounts gets Batman and it kind of ruins his career all over again. It's weird getting those, that Oscar and getting Batman just like fucks the whole thing up. Yeah. And he's back to being sad, getting Dunkin' Dunk, Dunkin' Donuts orders. But off now his he's porch. married to JLo again and it's the late nineties again. Who knows? It's what a world careers are long. <laughs> They're long. Arthur. <laughs> Roller coasters. Yes. Never give up on your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then finally, this kind of successful route I want to end in is Matthew McConaughey and Lincoln Lawyer. Sure. Uh, I talked about that at, at length when we talked about Interstellar. Um, but I think that's another one of those pivot points. Uh, and then I want to take a look at three cases where the success hasn't been maybe quite what we'd hope. But the first one is White on a Rider and Stranger Things, mm. which really reinvigorated her career. But we haven't seen a lot of follow-up to that. She's done a couple of movies, a couple of little things. But it's not like anything has really been able to capture that momentum mm. that she really had I think in that first season of Stranger Things where you know her performance as Joyce is just so good as she's trying to deal with this tragedy that's occurred in her house and we haven't got to see a great follow up I think Destination Wedding comes out right around them but it's a small indie drama comedy um, doesn't have a we huge like it, yeah, yeah you know we're mm-hmm. fans but yeah uh, then I want to take a look at Liam Neeson and Taken um, and the way it's reshaped his career into just being every movie is Taken Yep. Now for Liam Neeson. Yeah. And for the last 24 years, 20 years. God, it's really, I mean, Taken's like, what, 07? Yeah. 08? Somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, almost 20 years. It's just, I mean, and he does multiple a year. Yeah. I mean, three or four of these things a year, and they're all the same. Yeah. And it's just a really interesting place. So most of them are directed by Jimmy Collette Sarah. <laughs> yes. And those are done, all kind of good. They are, actually. They're good. Yeah. I, 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 finally, nonstop. I yeah. think I finished that that set of, of movies the other day. I watched uh, Unknown. Oh, uh, I haven't seen that one. Which was a lot of fun. Uh, you weren't in the office, or you would have got to watch it with me. Oh, well. But it was a good time. But yeah, so, they're um, all, they're all have lives, Arthur. I don't know where you were. I don't know either. 
Anyway. You should have been watching a movie, though. I probably, I probably was in a meeting. You should have been watching a movie with me. Yeah. Maybe it was the day you didn't come up. Maybe that Friday you didn't. I don't oh, know. yeah, maybe. Doesn't matter. Uh, finally, lastly, we did with Mickey Rourke. Uh, uh, and the wrestler, yeah, uh, yes. another man who has had his demons, who just the Ram. gets the piece of a lifetime in the wrestler, and then again falls apart for whatever reason. Difficult to work with, demons, who knows? Mickey Rourke and all the people in the rooms with him, I guess. But uh, another instance where, again, maybe a snub for the award. Yeah. Maybe should have got it, but really just saw his, his career kind of peter off again after that. And yeah. I think it's just a fascinating occurrence to see where actors trail off, where they come back, how that mashes with their star mm-hmm. persona, how we understand that performer, and then where they go with that new momentum yeah. and how that plays out. You know, so. you got me thinking about now, though, is Brendan. Fraser. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. N- newly, Definitely, newly right? minted. Yeah. Um, or, or even Kihai Khan, right? Yeah. I mean, two huge success stories from this year. Comeback uh, tales, yeah. Yeah, and, and two different. I mean, Key is just quits Hollywood for yeah. 20-something years. He does stunt work, but yeah. Some AD work, I think, yeah, yeah. And he's just out of the pit. He's, he's given up on the dream. Yeah. And then Brendan had done some work, but not to the level of the late 90s. Yeah. People are liking him in a yeah. straight-to-streaming DC show. He's doing some, yeah, yeah, he's doing some voice work on that show, right, too. Yeah. And he's not even on screen, really. And does some other stuff. He was in Soderbergh's uh, Crime Rise, and he in, what was the one with Cheadle and No Sudden Move? Oh, No Sudden Move. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's, he's in, in there that, for a bit. Yeah, he's in a couple movies. Yeah, he does that some era. things. But yeah, yeah really, again, working with Aronofsky, yeah. just like Rourke does gets the Academy Award, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so we see that in Kia Kwan, who comes back for obviously the maybe biggest movie of the 2020 so far. Yeah. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So, yeah. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. I guess, I mean, Kia Kwan's already got a Disney show lined up with Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Sue. There's a little yeah. mini reunion going on. Yeah. Oh, Victory Lap. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. They've Great. got a Victory Lap over at Disney Plus. Yeah. But uh, Brendan, yeah, I'm sure I'm not... You know, there, there's the big movie of the year win, and then the one of the most hated movies of the year win. So, yeah, yeah, curious how that's going to pan out. But yeah, I think great class, Arthur. Dustin, mm-hmm. what uh, what what machinations have you been up to over there? I think what I would do is I would love to create a course that would be studies in franchise film. Okay. And that way I can plug and play. Mm-hmm. And so John Wick's obviously one of those. But, you know, you could do all, I mean, lots and lots of options then. So you could do something like the Magnificent Seven franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not just like the sort of obvious Star Wars, Harry Potter's, Lords of the Rings, um, something from the MCU, right? I mean, you get Scream Bat- in here for the postmodern stuff. Yep, yeah, Scream, Batsman, 80s franchises of horror. Right, there's a number of these that you can sort of plug and play. But yeah, I mean, you could do something like the the Dracula franchise uh, at a Universal, or True. just the Universal monsters in general as a franchise for study. And so you kind of be, you have a lot of options. And so every time you teach it, you can do a different set of franchises depending on your interests or just what you haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. And that way you get to read all the academic stuff and you know teach that in a course. And so you think about uh, modes of production, you think about box office, you think about the uh, the idea as the blockbuster in general um you're also thinking about the sleeper hit uh and so you know different franchises sort of parlay their way into that and some franchises are sort of like geared from the beginning avatar is a franchise in the making that's going to be sort of like intentionally designed to be blockbuster gold from the beginning and has been Mm. you know from the get-go or but you know the matrix was kind of surprised everybody even though there's a ton of money behind it 
nobody really knew what they were getting into with that or uh the John Wick franchise. Again, another one of those uh, sleeper franchise hits. So, uh, in the module in which I did John Wick, the readings... And I, I'm, I'm thinking what I would do is design it with... I think I'd do four franchises the sole semester. So, four weeks, four weeks, and four weeks. And so, we're, we've got four weeks living with the John Wicks. Mm. We've got four weeks living with... I don't know... Nightmare on Elm Street, four weeks, li- you know, w- with whatever we end up doing. Uh, four weeks living with a uh, literary franchise, maybe Philip Marlowe and various adaptations of Marlowe. Also uh, a film featuring Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, options, you know, for that. Um, but we would read, in addition to this, uh, three books from Indiana University Press that came out last year. So uh, this uh, university imprint has published three different works dealing directly with the John Wick franchise. So the first one would be uh, Lisa Couthard's and uh, Lindsay Stierenberg's co-written uh, Red Circles of Revenge, Anatomy of the Fight Sequence in John Wick, uh, The Worlds of John Wick, The Year Work at the Continental Hotel uh, would be one of those uh, instances there. Um uh, and then well actually I guess it's all out of one book isn't it? So the book is the worlds of John Wick the years work at the Continental Hotel the chapters I'd pick are this uh Red Circle of Revenge and then there's another one about masculinity isolation and revenge John Wick's liminal body from the same work and then finally killing an equanimity theorizing John Wick's action aesthetics hmm. uh, would be the readings there those all sound awesome yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're chapters out of this uh, single work from I thought it was three different books I was gotcha. incorrect in looking at this bibliography I stole um but it's from the uh, again the worlds of John Wick, the years work at the Continental Hotel, and this is all from University of Indiana Press. So it's a, a fetch drift of essays uh, about that. And so that'd be the thing we'd read over the course, you know, several different essays over the course of watching those three movie, four movies, I guess at this point, over those four weeks. So it would be a fun class to do, just sort of in franchise filmmaking. Uh, you know, you do a Star Wars at one. I mean, you do like one heavy hitter, I would think. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for that. So you do a Star Wars or you would do a Lord, a Lord of the Rings, Rings yeah. a Matrix, yeah. you know, and yeah. then do the weird sort of off the beaten path kind of things there. I want to do demonic slasher. toys. Oh, uh, sure. You know, okay. like like uh, sort of uh, the B yeah. franchises would be fun That's there. That's fun. Night of the Living Dead. Okay. You yeah. know, something like that. You know, horror's got lots of these franchises, so you want to sort of branch out from that. Your predators, your aliens, it would be kind of fun though, and in, in sort of the action vein. Again, I think about the Magnificent Seven uh, for the Western uh, for a franchise there. But yeah, one what one that is a remake and has a remake. I mean, that just mm-hmm. makes it interesting. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, that would be the that would be the class, and Wick would be a module. Uh, oh, yeah. within said class uh, with this uh, great little book from uh, University of Indiana Press, which I hadn't actually seen. Um, but there you go, uh, dear listener. Your syllabus has got. A little bit longer. Uh, moving on, I believe, though, it's now time we got down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business A lot of movies to cover. A lot of movies to cover. So, um... We're in it for the long haul today. Fortunately... Well, it's episode 500, my friend. 500 minutes just for you. you yeah. You, if you sync it up just right, this will get done about the same time John Wick 4 gets done. So you can sort of have a very interesting multimedia experience going on. It's actually going to be the length of time it takes to film John Wick 5. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, fortunately, all three of these movies share a lot of themes, so I don't yes. feel like we have to, like... 
I mean, we can kind of like a one, two, three analysis. Mentioning the same from one. Yeah, yeah, but we don't. Yeah, we don't have to break them all up. Because again, it's consequences. It's death, as you said. Grief, uh, grief, absolutely. Depression. Yeah. Well, let me sure. mention one other academic Commerce. work, and I, I think they sort of begin this. And this is um, from Anne Hall. She's got an article called "John uh, John Wick: Colon Keanu Reeves Epic Adventure." Uh, this is uh, pu- uh, published in Heroism Science, okay. which is kind of a academic Campbell esque. Uh, kind of thing, and the idea of this as an epic hero, this sort of, and you, you sure. sort of mentioned this with your syllabus dealing with uh, journeys into the underworld and Eurydice and Homer. He's Virgil, baby. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and so there's a way in which you can think about, you know, the sort of the trials and travails of this Herculean figure mm-hmm. that is John Wick, and uh, you know that might be a, a way to begin thinking about this. Uh, um, film franchise theoretically is that it's unlike, say, John McClane of the Diehards, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it, it it's sort of just one darn thing after another, you know, with John McClane. Mm-hmm. He just happens to be in the building and like, well, okay, I got to do this thing, and I don't know. It, it, it's, it's constant a, wrong place, wrong time for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this seems to be much more of the epic saga, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and again, that we we talk about Joseph Campbell, and I not very long ago we had sort of a Joseph Campbell kind of um, dunk fest, uh, looking at Willow, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. talking about Hero of the Thousand Faces, and uh, that sort of meta myth kind of stuff. But I, I really do think that this is that epic scope of adventure, even though it's only a couple weeks, he is a sort of uh, almost superhuman Beowulf-like kind of hero. When we think about the epic... It, He's it the mean, Baba Yaga. He is the Baba Yaga. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. The boogeyman. Yeah. The, but the boogeyman's our hero. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, he's a bad guy boogeyman. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of fun. You know, uh, there. I don't know if there's any more there, there. No, I think you're that. absolutely onto something uh, with that. Because, you know... It, uh, I always forget the name of this article, but they, um, the author, she uses McLean, uh, John McLean, so effectively as an example of like the ways in which the action hero, hero, not hero, I almost said heroine, but hero or heroine has to take the violence upon their body for the audience. Mm-hmm. And especially by Parabellum, John Wick is so much in that vein, right? Mm-hmm. He is, mm. even though he is portrayed as efficient and, you know, ruthless and lethal, he's human. Right. I mean, all throughout these movies, he's got an injury that is like making his fights harder for him. Right. Even in, from the first movie, he gets yeah. that stab wound that like causes him a great deal of pain and uh, a, a big and handicap. Staples for him. himself together. The vet's office. Oh, it's oh, awful. Yeah. Brutal. Mm. But well, yeah, yeah. Con- just constantly like taking pain upon himself in this sort of, you know, in the way a martyr religious figure would as he's going on this this epic journey. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, again, I just, you know, I, I think that there is a way in which this sort of, he is the the Beowulf of our times, who's just a, a man of just higher, deeper calling, and mm-hmm. we are simply watching the, 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 the trials of, you know, this, you know, Sisyphean kind of mythic figure, mm-hmm. you know, at work, which is, which is fun. Well, and his tattoos, right, is not fortune favors the bold it is a uh, fortune will save the strong or something mm-hmm. like that yeah it's yeah it is all about yeah being self-possessed of of focus and determination right um i the other thing i think we can we can think about the religious themes in this film sure. or series which is uh certainly a, a vengeance kind of thing but it, it, it it's just it it is about loyalty and fealty 
Uh, it, it's a, I have served and I will be of service. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. Uh, it is. If there's a religion in the world of John Wick, it is that um, there are gods above us and we must bow. The high table. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and so again, this sort of lends itself to the uh, the epic nature of it. But it goes ahead and plays around using Christian religious imagery, uh, Buddhist religious imagery. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in sort of the various religions of the world. Well, even his, you know, his really interesting his ticket in three is on a rosary mm-hmm. and it has a very it crucifix looks like a look russian orthodox yeah. almost mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's a very interesting iconography but yeah but it's not used as sort of a way in which one intercedes or asks for grace from the divine in any way it is simply i was given this and therefore it is a you know like the marker mm-hmm. a thing that must be fulfilled it must satisfy this transactional you know, transactional kind of equation it's very bureaucratic yeah yeah in for that sure way, right yeah the, the the machinations of the high table in this this world like there's always a uh, we have to have your marker and then when you do the marker you have to don't don't forget you got to sign out in the so, book sign up, yeah. so there's the big book <laughs> you have to mark it as complete like there's always there's rules and regulations for everything uh, yeah which you know brings us to our beloved adjudicator who is so fun oh, man and you know it is exactly this is very exacting it's very transactional they gave you know the bowery king uh, fishburn he gave john wick seven bullets he receives seven cuts like it is all it is very much measured and you know it is all about balance in, in mm-hmm. some weird way or at least status quo right well the thing that got john wick out was his desire to marry helen mm-hmm. and so the thing that gets him back in and sort of gets him his life back with uh the high table elder is to cut off his ring finger yeah right and so oh my god what a that's like the one of the most emotionally cathartic moments of the sequels i think like, mm-hmm. not cathartic but like resonant portentous yeah, yeah like yeah. it's a big moment like it, it is as yeah. it is as big as the he killed that from me and, or i'm thinking i'm back and i think there's a really interesting line there right it's the further we get from that initial movie the fewer reminders he has of helen yeah right we, we lose he the dog it. we lose the car we lose the house mm-hmm. in two mm-hmm. and by three he's got his ring and a photo that's in the library mm-hmm. right? and that's all he has left presumably of helen and now he's lost the ring. It's it's a really interesting way. The further he gets back into this violence, the the further removed he is from that domestic life he he wanted. Well, and a question that gets brought up throughout the three films is: Is this what Helen would want for John? Yeah. And of course, the answer is absolutely no, not. Of no. course not. But that is the price, right? He did this to him at yeah. some level. You know, Alfie Allen is only responsible for so much of these movies. Yeah. John John dug up the guns and the coins. You know, for mm-hmm. dog in a car. For yeah. dog in a car. Yeah, um, and yeah, that, and so so there's that. Um, there there's also a way in which the, you know the movie plays with tropes and conventions. Uh, the series plays with tropes mm-hmm. and conventions. That's really kind of fun. You know, we don't we're not going to refrigerate the wife in the same revenge sort of style that you would see in like a Bronson movie or something like that, where you know they killed my wife, I killed my girlfriend, yeah, and now I'm going to kill everybody. Nature killed her. Yeah, yeah, she got cancer and died. You know, yeah. just one of those life. You know, and, and and Wick seems to be okay with this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's grieving. He seems to be sad, but it's just it's fine. You know, it's just this is this is what happens, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but when uh, again, um, goofy guy from Alfie, what's it? Bucket from Alfie Allen. Yeah, Game of Thrones kills his dog. Then it's like, nope, nope. That there's an equation that must be balanced, and the equation it's not a balanced equation. The, no. Yeah, because the dog represents more than the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it cannot be balanced. Yeah, and so well, everyone who stands in his way of killing the one guy is, is sort of the idea there. And he's, I guess, he's done to an extent after he kills Alfie Allen. 
Presumably. Well, presumably. Uh, but then, yes, then the consequences catch up with him. Yeah. Right. And Bill, and of course, Michael Nyquist is like, I can't. I can't just let you get away with killing my kid. Yeah. Even though I told you where he was and like how to get to him. Because I was trying to keep myself alive a yeah. little bit. But yeah. also I not... have to save face and like try to kill you again mm-hmm. as I leave town. <laughs> uh, great. I don't know. It's it's so funny to watch, you know, the franchise that ended up with him fighting Mark Dacascus of Iron Chef. And one of I don't know, maybe one of the most famous martial artists in the world. And that's where he ends in three. And in the end of the first movie, it's Michael Nyquist, a you know out of shape guy <laughs> yeah 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 who like is an incredible character actor but is not like the most like you know i wouldn't want to fist fight him but no. i don't know that he's like the scariest dude in the world yeah. either i feel like his fight would be fueled by rage and vodka and yeah i would want no part of Just it dirty yeah. yeah him icing yeah. his knuckles as he beats up defoe it's pretty it, brutal man it's great yeah fun touches throughout but anyway, it's just it's just funny, like who they match him up against throughout these movies. Like they've they've definitely like put a little bit more thought into it as they've gone on for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he I don't know. Nyquist is so interesting in that movie as this because it's him who tells us, you know, obviously the movie shows us that John Wick is a badass, but it's him that tells yeah. us like how we got here, mm-hmm. the, who who John was before he retired. And it's, it's very interesting to have the essentially the villain of the film, like kind of lay out the, the rules of the world a little bit. Yeah. It's the first instance too. I mean, we really f- see almost immediately how much these people respect John. Yeah. And he's very torn. Like he understands what his son did was very dumb mm-hmm. and he admonishes him as such, but he's also a father Right, and so he's very torn because he's not necessarily thinking John's wrong, mm-hmm. but he knows what John can do. But right. he does have this healthy respect and fear of John, and I think it's really interesting to let him have that as well as the villain to to really be grudgingly be like, "I'm gonna have to kill you," but I get it, and I mm-hmm. respect you. And, and that's really becomes a recurring theme throughout as well as all these people very much fear and respect John Wick. Mm-hmm. And know what he is capable of. Well, and that's the sort of thing that happens again in chapter two is what Winston respects yeah. and fears him. And is like, okay, you did the thing where you're not supposed to kill somebody on continental grounds, but I'm going to give you an hour out of respect. Yeah. Right. Which comes back to bite him in the ass, of course. Right. Yep. Well, it ends up working out. It too. does end up working yeah. out. Uh, this is just, I don't know why this popped into my head, but we talked about it earlier, so I have to point it out. One of the only things in these movies that does not work for me is sort of the incongruity of the crowd at the fountain when John Wick and Common are shooting at each other, freaking out. And then when they shoot at each other in the concourse, nobody reacts. Mm-hmm. Just a weird incongruity with the movies. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Has always bothered me. It's like one yeah. of the only moments that rings false. But uh, just so weird. Uh, but it gives uh, me a chance to bring up Common, who represents another character. You know, we're talking about it all working out for Winston. It works out for Winston because he agrees to once again be of service to the high table. And Common kind of like is sort of a fun, like, I don't know, kind of a samurai type character. You know, mm-hmm. he's like has such fealty to this member of the high table that like he, he when he fails at protecting her, it's all about, well, now I have to kill John Wick. Right. And I'm so I'm so desperate for them to bring Common back. They they they, you know, deli- they they left him alive. They, let, they they just they so deliberately leave him alive at the end of that yeah. fight in two that it just makes you want more common. So well, it's a professional courtesy. It was a professional courtesy. <sighs> yeah, it's so, so good. Well, that's the thing. Like the the idea that all of these people are colleagues at some level. Yeah, is, mm-hmm. like kind of. Rings- I mean, it's business. Yeah, I mean, it's that bureaucracy. Yeah, I mean, they all work nine to five as hitmen and mm-hmm. punching the clock, and we've 
all classed markers and we've all, you know, swapped coins and yeah. Yeah. There is that brotherhood or yeah. unity of it. While it's, yeah, it, it it's so funny that it manages to do this sort of mythic, you know, gods of Olympus thing that we've talked about, but it is also kind of mundane at some level. Yeah, it's yeah. doing yeah. both in a really interesting way that I, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's such a joy of the franchise to me. Right. I think, and also like just the groups, like we, we've talked about them a couple times, but we do have the, uh, the the operators and mm. you know doing their goth thing that they're doing mm. <laughs> um but then we have like the sushi chefs who are also ninjas yep and then we have i guess the violinist the, who's busking in the subway yeah. who is of course also an assassin and then we have uh, presumably the ballerinas because they're getting a spinoff right yeah, we right. didn't get to see that but presumably they're some yeah. sort of this black widow program network as well yeah. yeah 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 and the home yeah the homeless network as well mm-hmm. like i think it's really interesting all these like factions community yeah, yeah. factions but these like within communities of of people and they've all rallied together and we don't really fully understand I mean, we, we get the bowery and, and probably most with the 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 kind of homeless group we don't really fully see i guess the the networks or the, mm-hmm. you know we haven't really seen all the different factions we've got hints at them but we really haven't seen like i, I it would be nice to have like i could like a district map. Yeah. Like here's here's this network and here's this group. You know what I mean? And here's the high table over all of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah. would be interesting to see a, a org chart. I need a flow chart. The yeah. crime yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another thing I find fascinating about this this franchise is um, it is it's not a four quadrant movie. No. Mm-mm. But it is. It's successful in that way. Yeah. I mean, if you sort of write down, you know, how masculine this series ought to be right dude's dog gets killed and he murders everybody and this sort of he's got to steal his car back and you know it's like revenge 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 kill 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 and yeah i mean the series ought to be like it's so masculine it'll be like renamed axe spray gun Mm. the series yeah you know i mean it's this four men yeah four men you know (laughs) And, and yet, and yet, I mean, Halle Berry is a good example, yep. you know, uh, of, of some of that. But all uh, the scholarship you mentioned was written by women, mm-hmm. you know, well, Pris- with yeah. the exception of Wong. But yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah and yeah. then Priscilla Page has done a lot of writing on this franchise. I know a lot of, you know, women and non-binary people who gravitate towards mm-hmm. this franchise. Well, you I was know, having a Ruby Rose in the second one, which I yep. think helps that Halle sure. Berry in third and the, I can't think the, of the adjudicator. adjudicator's name. Yeah. They are. Yeah. That I, I, there's, there is kind of a queerness to the John Wick movies, which is interesting. It's not like explicit, but in sort of the, at least very counterculture, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I mean. Yeah. This, this sort of secret society that's happening, you know, just outside of the margins of quote unquote, normie society. Yeah. A.J. Kate Dillon is Thank the adjudicator. You. Thank you. Oh my God. Yeah. Really and good on, uh, yeah. uh, orange is the new black as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of the weird transcendence of this, of this franchise. It does have, I mean, obviously you're not taking your kids to this, right? I mean, sure. Probably some teenagers in high school are going to find it. But my dad would have taken me, unfortunately. There are those things, right? There's nobody 12 years old or over who wouldn't love it, though, right? I mean, there are people who wouldn't love it. But But yeah, I mean, it it does that have high energy and just fun stuff, like horses kicking guys in the face. Like, it's just fun, right? But I think two and three really do allow it to open up demographically to Mm -hmm. more communities. And I I do think it is interesting to think about this as far as high-concept films go, four-quadrant films go, because, I mean, it's at least three quadrants probably mm-hmm. right younger boys and then older 
men and women can mm-hmm. really get into it, I think, because yeah. it does have a little bit of everything. There's a little bit of a romance story, if you, especially if you get in at one, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of drama and you know, action and comedy, and I think it navigates all that very well. Yeah. It does. I mean, we've talked about this throughout this episode, but yeah, the tone of these things is impeccable. It it just knows when to zig and when to zag. Mm-hmm. It knows when to play it straight. It knows when to like let the moment have a kind of a giggle to it. Um, I, I am interested in the violence of these movies because it, you know, we, we're talking about like it's it's broad appeal. The violence is like horror movie level violence. Sometimes it gets pretty gnarly. Yeah, there are some knife things that take place in three that are squeamish for me. I, yeah. I don't like gun stuff. Doesn't bother me, but when someone gets stabbed in the eye, someone gets a knife shoved through their head or a sword through their head. Like that's the stuff that's like the pencil kills in two are really gross. Yeah, the, the ear book thing. Whew. Is grotesque. Yeah. It's so, I mean, not only just jamming it in the guy's mouth, but then yeah. breaking his neck across the spine of it. Yeah. Is. What's that basketball player's name? Do you know? I don't know. He's so big. Yeah. What a big guy. Yeah. Love yeah. to have gigantic a man they cast because Keanu's like 5'8, five, 5'9. Five, He's like normal size. Crazy yeah. big. Uh, but yeah, the, absolutely grotesque. Like the bend on his neck when he kills him is so so nasty yeah so it's three like, really ramps that up i think the guy getting kicked in the head with the horse is pretty graphic Ooh, if i yeah. remember right oh yeah. yeah yeah so it's it's interesting like at some level is john a sadist like is it does what at what level does john like is the audience brutalized well there you go how i mean right well, i think we, we talked about that yeah. with hellraiser a long yeah, yeah. time ago i mean how mm-hmm. much of this is audience getting the thrill of artillation yeah versus the which again, I think goes into some of that maybe that counterculture stuff. Well, and some of it's sort of a, a nod to realism too, because I, I remember really being taken aback by the sort of just shooting him in the head, like the sort of you know final like the the the, the, the frequency of which he's shot a guy a few times, he drops the ground, and he gives him one more, and then he, and it just over and over and over again, you know these these sort of additional make sure you're dead, mm-hmm. you know um, two tap zombie land yeah. rules kind of headshots mm-hmm. yeah. that 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 take place and. Uh, there's a realism there because you don't want this guy coming up and you know shooting you in the back or whatever. So there's that part of it. But I, th- I think you're right, Arthur. I think there's this huge section of it that's just sadistic. Um, our own our own sadomasochism of watching this sort of stuff take place. Right. It is. Yeah. A weird pairing with Hellraiser. Interesting. Good pull. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we love movie violence. We love the spectacle. We love to see you know a guy get a knife thrown at him now speaking of movie lions i I think we have to juxtapose this with pig yeah yeah i mean that that feels like the i mean that's that movie is the antithesis of this right i mean it is the the response yeah i mean really a genre that starts uh, again with taken i mean we can go back to bronze we could talk about death wish but i think modernly with taken you know the the revenge thriller gets reignited John Wick in itself felt like a major spin on that because it is the dog right Mm -hmm. right and hearing about secondhand it sounds silly but we actually see it play out it makes sense and it works Mm -hmm. but then pig takes that to the next level to Mm -hmm. say what if there's another way yeah and and it's suggesting that this I mean and, and I think that is a critique because the question we have to ask ourselves ideologically is why do we love this so much you know, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite theologians uh, is Stanley Hauerwas, um, who is a Methodist uh, theologian, but he's trained under John Howard Yoder. Uh, um, um, Mennonite, I want to say, is his background. So Peace Church, you know, mm-hmm. uh, nonviolence, non-retaliation kind of stuff. And uh, Hauerwas once said, um, the reason why I have to be a pacifist is because I'm so damn violent. 
Um, that's a direct quote. Um, Love that. He's a he's a swear it man. He's this my my favorite swearing theologian is uh, Stanley Hauerwas, and I I think that that's kind of what we have to sort of question about ourselves is we love John Wick because we'd rather be him than uh, Robin Goodfell. What is his name? Robin. Who I don't know. Who uh, you're about. Robin Cage's character. Yeah, Cage. Oh, in Pig. Yeah, yeah it's Pig. Robin. Yeah, Robin I can't something. remember the last name. I can't remember either. Yeah, I, I think you're because Robin has to accept his limitations as a human being and has to process his grief and has to recognize the humanity of those who inflicted his grief on him. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Has to see their humanity and say, all right, well, I guess I'm going to cook you dinner. Uh, like I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago and, and remind you of the connection that we had once and could have again. Yeah. It's, it is such a different take on it. And you're right that we want to be John Wick. And I think it's, it comes down to, we want, we have all had life do us dirty, and we all know it will continue to do so. Right. And we would all like to have the means and ability to say, bring it on. Like, whatever you got, life, I'm ready. I mm -hmm. will fuck you up. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is what is appealing about John is like, no matter what the high table throws at him, you know, they, they take away his number one move, which is shooting dudes in the head. And throw, throw an army of dudes with armored heads at him. Mm -hmm. He says, I'll just shoot you in the neck then. Yeah. It is, it is all about, or I'll get the biggest shotgun you've ever seen right. with steel slugs. Like it, the efficient distribution of violence will get John out of pretty much every situation. And that is cathartic. It is easier than cooking the dinner for the guy that killed your beloved pig. Right. Uh, it just is. Yeah, and, but it is, I think, um, objectively better sure right yeah to do the other but it's, it's more it's more difficult and there's, there's less accolades and, there, and there's less sort of sexy glitzy glory with it right yeah. i think that's kind of where we really struggle i think you know with it. and again i i think we have to again this is sort of ideological analysis now at this point you know the presence of ideology is we live in a society in which and we are human beings who would much prefer you know eye for an eye eye for an eye than turn the other cheek yeah, no. If yeah. we're going to use biblical language there, and uh, that's just that's just part of who we are, and so I mean, the success of the franchise is, you know, I mean, I mean, we we sort of we 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 bracketed this at the beginning by saying this world is a world in which ethics don't exist. Yeah, you know, and so it, it's okay, I think, to pretend about this sort of ethic, you know, anti-ethical thought exercise because I, I think about one of those analyses of the horror genre that sort of applies to a lot of this, that, you know, you've got these guys who are um, making these super bloody, grossy, mm -hmm. you know, gore fest, um, splatter fest um, kinds of uh, films. And they're guys like David Cronenberg and Wes Craven and George A. Romero, who are, um, you know, super activists against violence in the real world and who are working, you know, sort of to end real world violence, even though they're sort of representing a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff on, on screen as a, a sort of cathartic mental exercise to avoid the real life. Right. Like the, they're the, the opposite of the Tipper Gore argument, mm -hmm. right. That uh, they're they're No, we do cinematic violence. So we are done. We're spent and we don't need it in the real world. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and John Wick may be something of that, you know, and pig as a response is sort of reminding us of what, what we should do is not, not get another Punisher tattoo on our back and try to be John Wick, you know. Well, I think that's there's sort of the 
and I, I, you know, I can only assume some of this is because of Stahelski, you know, had in his background as a stunt person and as a martial artist, there is sort of a martial artist's humbleness to the John Wick films and the, uh, the fuck around and find out ethos, mm-hmm. like yeah. give respect because you don't know who you're talking to. Right. Yeah. And the, at some level they are kind of not necessarily anti-violent, but at, le- at the very least like anti what's the word I'm looking for here. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, discourteousness kind of like yeah. uh, Hannibal Lecter in some ways don't be a bully yeah because you might find somebody who can push you back exactly yeah there is sort of an interesting ethos to there the are these morals and codes that everybody operates by exactly mm-hmm. yeah. exactly which I think is necessary because the impl- as we're you know we're talking around like what is a you know the anti-violent John Wick is of course pig and if you take pigs ethics into John Wick that the world becomes unconscionable <laughs> Yeah, it becomes horrifying. Right. But because of the rules that exist within its, you know, because of its own rules and its own tone management, it becomes something different, which I think Mm -hmm. is essential because they are a little gun porny at times, especially Mm -hmm. the stuff with Somalia and two. Like, I mean, it's so fun. It's so fun and hilarious. And Peter Serafinowicz is like hysterical in that scene. But these are an American film franchise and we've got a problem in America where we can't stop shooting each other. I don't know if you've heard about this on the news. Uh, this isn't a gun control argument, but if you've watched, turned on a television at any point in the last 20 years, you might have noticed somebody's probably shot somebody recently. Yeah. I don't think that's controversial to say. No. <laughs> so I think we have to square the circle of, of gun violence in films at some level because we sure are obsessed with it. And mm-hmm. again, it's not just us that makes like movies that have gun violence. Like countries with sensible gun laws have gun violence in their films. Sure. But we've got kind of a unique perspective on it as a country, and I, I don't know... I don't know that the John Wick movies are going to solve any of those problems for us, but they, they're certainly an interesting lens into a death-obsessed society. You know what I really want more than anything is the fanfic novella where um, Nick Cage's character makes Winston Meats. dinner. Yeah. Where we, the, the, he the, becomes the head chef at the... At, at, the, at, at the Continental and yeah. like prepares a meal... Because for the high table, for the high table, that's fun, and like they they can't exist, like and they, they sort of have to like like it just breaks all the rules and it just breaks their brains for a little while. Like I would pick I w- chapter three, pair of hams. Yeah, <laughs> pair of hams. we love it, we love it. It's uh, fun. Uh, any other big thematic things we want to hit on with the wiki franchise? Uh, we've talked about death and sort of the religious component a lot, so I don't know if we need to get into that anymore. Uh, there is, uh, I think it's the director that says it, but, uh, this is just a line that kind of brings the drives home the point or one of the themes of these movies. Art is pain. Life is suffering. Mm -hmm. And you know, these, these movies are so athletic because of suffering. (laughs) There's these, these movies are pain. People got beat up to make these movies. Make no mistake. Absolutely. So that ethos, like, comes into the film in in the sense of John Wick has to suffer to get to the end of these trials because he's brought it upon himself and that that art that that martial art that he is so adept at is going to keep bringing him suffering if he doesn't find a different way to apply it and that's I don't know I think the films are so clever in the ways that they kind of like call out their own themes mm-hmm. without being you know uh in two uh the Bowery King says to him your descent into hell begins now Mr. Wick like as he as he leaves to go you know try to kill Santino mm-hmm. so all of these films like kind of 
will talk out of the corner of their mouths about their themes occasionally, and I think it's it's really effective. And yeah. I, I guess we can leave it at that. I just yeah, they're, I like that. They're yeah. they're good at being self referential without being obnoxious about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Buster Keaton stuff on the walls. Uh, just uh, in the second yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah pointing out that those yeah. Buster Keaton riffs. And it started the third because it's projected yeah, there it's on the third as well. Times Square as well. Oh, that's right. I was just thinking at about the beginning. The motorcycle chase at the beginning of two. Yeah. Grab at the beginning of three. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they there's they're remarking upon their influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean just sort of that intentional nodding is yeah. what I want to mention there. Game uh, recognized game in the stunt world. Well, I guess we can go ahead and render a verdict. I mean, insofar as it may or may not be necessary. What do you say with John Wick chapters one, two, and three? Shelf or trash, Arthur? Uh, yeah, I mean they're on my shelf. I, I, I think they're very shelfable, and you know talking about genres uh of which there are a glut uh the revenge action movie has certainly seen uh its fair share of entries 90 percent of them from liam neeson um <laughs> but these uh and the other 10 from <laughs> clint eastwood and then we got one percent keanu uh but these three wick movies are just I and mean, there's something special yeah about this franchise uh that's allowed it to stand out amidst a very crowded uh subgenre and so I, I think that just the longevity, the impact on Keanu's career, its impact on action cinema, I think they're very shelfable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you say, Dalton? You want to shelf or trash John Wick? Yeah, these are imminently rewatchable films. Yeah, they're... were these in your top one hundred? No. Okay, no, I couldn't remember. More. I, who I bet I bet the John Wick trilogy is like hovering around like the the two hundred somewhere. It's probably okay. top two hundred. Yeah, I love these movies. They're fantastic. They're yeah. so much fun. They're just they're so rewatchable and they're. There's so much, again, I've, I've said it before, but they don't have to go as hard as they do, and they, they keep going harder, mm-hmm. and they keep getting more martial arts in there, and they keep getting more guns in there, and they keep getting more art and subtext in there, and they, they just keep getting more interesting. Yeah, I love these movies. Uh, I do wish they'd stop making them so Keanu Reeves can stop dying his hair. Let the man age. Yeah. He's 10 years older than when he started making these movies. Right. Yeah, but it's only been like three days in the movie. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that's so funny. Let him get old. For God's sake. Yeah. The uh, longest week of a live life. Now we have our old man Logan, you know, John Wick yeah. movie. Yeah. I mean, to bring it back to the start of our conversation of like, where what's the status of the franchise? I, it does make me feel good to know that Stahelski and Keanu are like, no, 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 it's break time. That's good to hear. Dustin, what about you? Are, are these all shuffleable for you? Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, and I don't know that if I were to redo a top 100 that I wouldn't be able, wouldn't have to. Now that you've rewatched them, them all, there. somewhere in there, yeah. At no. this point, I'm not sure what it would edge out, but yeah, like it's, it's it's a franchise I continue to think about a lot. You know, I mean, a yeah. pig is already in my top hundo, so it might yeah. it might be a 150 ish for me right now, somewhere in between 100 and 150. But yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a shelfable thing. Um, last thing I want to say before we uh, talk about conversation is we do need to just make mention of. Um, Lance Reddick. Yeah, we haven't talked about it at all. And and then he um, this week, as we were recording, he passed away. And so you know, again, um, you know, R.I.P. to a real one there. Um, his work on the Wire is where I sort of got to know him. Same. And uh, just people incredible. love him on Fringe too. So fucking funny on uh, the uh, Comedy Central show Corporate. Mm-hmm. It just he really gets to let loose on that show. And it's if you have you know if you're if you're looking for a little dose of Lance to commemorate his his great career, uh, go check out Corporate uh, on Paramount. Uh, really funny show, really bleak, dark show, and Lance is hilarious in it. 
Yeah, I don't know if we've de- we, you know we've we had we've had some deaths very close to uh, you know film uh, airing of shows and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we sort of were aware of somebody's death while we were talking about something altogether different at one point. But I don't know if we've actually done a dedication ever for an actual podcast episode. But yeah, you know what, Lance, your family, this is for you. Uh, the only one I can think of is. Uh... Arthur cut together a really great memorial reel for uh, Philip, Se- Philip Seymour Hoffman, Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he died. Yeah, uh, I think I did it for him. I did it for Robin Williams, Robin too. and uh, Rickman. Oh, yeah. I forgot you did one for Rickman, too. Yeah. Because we had just, I think all three of those actors, we had discussed their work like close to their deaths. Recently, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so it's been a while since that's happened. But yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. That's somebody that means a lot to us, I, I think. Uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah, seriously, one of the greats. It's, kind of unreal mm-hmm. uh it's, it still hasn't said all the way in yeah very sad how would you rank these films oh good question we haven't we haven't Man, talked I, about it i don't know i think about yeah. it a lot because i mean they're pretty even killed for me sure um i kind of i, I think for you. a long time two was the winner just because i like how much it fleshes out more of the story mm-hmm. yeah but rewatching three this time some of the initial drawbacks I had when I first saw it kind of went away. Same. Maybe because I knew where it was going now mm-hmm. and didn't feel as choppy. And I, I just, it, I think it's just so innovative in those. I mean, we get 45 minutes to an hour of set pieces. We yeah. take a break and then we get another 45 minutes to an hour of, of set piece. And they're all different. And they're all so well constructed. And so maybe three, I don't know. I, I, I mean, any day yeah. it could change. I think I'm with you. Uh, I, I agree that they're kind of hard to pin down, but on this rewatch, three like really stood out as sort of the apex of the, the first three for me. Keanu Reeves stands on a motorcycle with a katana sword in three. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I mean that's it. Plus, they they what, took the fight from the villainess, and they 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 mentioned that, that they're yeah. they're very much influenced by that fight, and then yeah, they just turned it up to 11 and said let's make it harder let's make it weirder let's put more people on bikes now that being said i don't have like a sort of like weird watch order like you know you do the star wars movies and you sort of rank them and you know you know it's like you know you watch them one two three i mean there's no other way to watch them and yeah and i think i think i think of them as a whole more than i do individual films yeah i mean they really really have that lord of the rings feel to them Mm -hmm. right because you could i mean that bridge of two um but there's a real i was watching you know when i watched two this time around the the stuff with stormare really does help ease you in if you missed one yeah you know so that kind of epilogue if you've seen one it feels like an epilogue but if you haven't seen one you can kind of come in pretty well you know unscathed and and know what Mm -hmm. you're getting into and not feel lost because i mean narratively not much happens in one yeah the dog dies and then he just tears across new york Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i mean that's it that's the story yeah you know there's two that really opens that up into this world and so uh I think that is, you know, very helpful. But yeah, I mean, very much it is John Wick is the is the thing. Yeah. And so, I, and that's what I anticipate for will be because, I mean, he's opened up he's, the parabellum, the prelude to war. So we're going to watch the war now mm-hmm. um, in, in chapter four. So I expect it'll continue to be more of the same. And continue to build I await the Fast itself. and Furious crossover where he <laughs> just murders the family. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could see him working side by side with them. You know, he loves cars. Just yeah, like Mazzano sort of like has Vin Diesel <laughs> finished repairs on the Mustang. I keep okay. So when I was watching, <laughs> when I was when I was watching it this time, but he's like, yeah, I could get the car back to you Christmas twenty thirty or whatever it is. He says, I was I was thinking, 
man, it would be sick if he gets the car back in four. <laughs> the car is finally ready. Wouldn't that, that be That would nice? be good. Yeah. I, I didn't I say like it. I didn't mention it, but John Leguizamo in one, I think he's just a knockout. Yeah. I think he's so good. Really well used. Yeah. I, I mean... One of my favorite character actors, but yeah. Yeah, who, who's done just about everything. Uh, but I, I mean, he doesn't get... He's got a couple scenes with John, and... He's just great. Yeah. He's one of my favorite highlights of the first movie, even though he doesn't have a ton. Yeah, he's him sort of like just talking to, um, what's his name, who killed the dog, yeah. and Alfie, and like, oh, you killed the dog. Yeah, you think I was, okay. You know, yeah. like laughing at him, but also like, you idiot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. His anyway. incredulity is, yeah. is is spot on. Yeah. Do you have a ranking, Dustin? They're just kind of their one movie for you. Uh, they're one movie for yeah. me. I mean, I, I think I like the third one the most. There there the, the, there are bits in the third one that I like the most, but mm-hmm. I, I I won't like them without the other two. I know what you mean. So yeah. I mean, just mm-hmm. it's it, it it it's a it's an individual season. <laughs> okay. Of, yeah. of of a series, and it just keeps getting more and more interesting and better. Yeah, I mean that's hard that, to argue with that, you. That, that's so yeah. I, I think probably three is better than two, and two is better than one. But I, you've got to watch the season in order. Yeah. So you have to, to see him say, "Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back," for him to be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to tell us when you're going to be back, uh, <laughs> there's a couple ways you can do that. Let us know. Uh, t- tell us what you think about the John Wick movies. Uh, Long form feedback can come to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. It's the name of the show you're listening to at gmail.com for uh, any any long form feedback. A little bit shorter stuff for us. You can just find us on Twitter at Good Trash Media. Uh, that's where you can find links to this show, other shows in our orbit, you know, shows of our friends or people who, you know, are nominally part of the good trash media network with us speaking of uh very good show uh wheel of randy is going to have something of a live show for oklahoma city local folks uh april 8th our very own dan wade is uh going to be putting on a show called a tall person a randy newman tribute uh that's going to be at the rodeo theater uh model nine entertainment uh, is who's putting on uh the show but if you look up tall person okc um, you'll probably find it's on Ticketstorm. Uh, go check, go check that out. I'll be there. Uh, come say hi. Um, but yeah, it's April 8th. Uh, I think doors are at seven shows at eight. It's like 20 bucks. Uh, it should be a good show. Uh, come check it out. Alex, uh, Sanchez from the, the praise down. One of our other shows will be, uh, doing some time as an opener on that show. So yeah, it's good. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, that's April 8th at seven, uh, sh- doors at seven show at eight. Uh, go check it out. It's on Ticketstorm. Uh, that's tall person. That's in my calendar as of now. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's, as you're uh, hearing this, you probably have like a week, right? Is this going to come out like the week before that? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of time to get tickets. Uh, we'll probably remind you again on our next episode. Uh, but yeah, that's coming up. So get your tickets and uh, come come out and have a good time. It'll be fun. Very cool. Uh, anything else? Oh, uh, if you want to help us uh, keep our lights on and uh, you know, pay our hosting fees and stuff, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Find out what's in it for you. We just did a Patreon pick a couple of weeks ago with A Hidden Life uh, from our friend Keithan. So if you want to pick a movie for us to watch on the show, are you desperate to hear us talk about John Wick 4? Well, we'll probably never talk about it. So if you want to hear that, go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and uh, you can pick John Wick 4 to be the movie we talk about. And I want to shout out one of our new patrons, Taylor. Taylor recently became a supporter. So thank you, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Taylor. Is it a Taylor? You guys know where Taylor I know. Yeah, he's a pal of ours. Uh, Okay. Well, I know a Taylor, so I wasn't sure. But that's awesome. Thanks, Taylor. Uh, Yeah. Love to get a new patron. Uh, That's it for, uh, you know, getting in touch with us. Uh, 
But, you know, the fun never stops. 501's right around the corner, baby. Yeah, what's happening at 501 there, um, well, Arthur? Next week we're going to take a slight break, but we'll return on uh, April 7th. And it's just time for something completely different. We've done a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of crime taking place in the last three months. God, my, so much crime. A lot crime. of murder. A lot of mayhem. So next week... I want to be good, but it's just so fun to be bad. We can dance. We can jive. We're going to have the time of our lives when we look at Mamma Mia, the movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, Hell yeah. My. This is a hard pivot, and I like it. Oh, man. This is what I need. I need that palate cleanser. Oh, Give me some ABBA tunes, baby. <laughs> Swedish pop sensation. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, you seem nonplussed. I think I, you're wrong. I am going to be fine. It'll be fine. Um, this movie opened the same weekend as Dark Knight. <laughs> Counter programming. I love them. We used to be a real country. That's Oppenheimer Barbie energy. That is Oppenheimer Barbie energy. It absolutely is. Yeah. We used to be a real country. We used to make pictures. <laughs> this this year, this Thank year we're God back. for me. <laughs> Oh my! Well, all right. Well, on that note, you keep watching, and we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Here we go again. Bye bye. I'm not safe. I'm not safe.